Can you imagine what your garden's going to look like in the future in, say, 20 or 30 years? My guest today, Paige Dickey, is an author who wrote about her garden 30 years ago, and she's writing about it again. Stay tuned. Paige Dickey is a garden writer, a lecturer, a designer. She is the author of a Duck Hill Journal, A Year in a Country Garden, and that was her breakthrough book many years ago. And she's also the author of several books on gardening, some of the most popular ones, Garden in the Spirit of Place, Breaking Ground, Portraits of Ten Garden Designers, Inside Out, Relating Garden to House, Dogs in Their Gardens, and Cats in Their Gardens, and as I mentioned, Duck Hill Journal. And her new one is Embroidered Ground, Revisiting the Garden. And in this book, the acclaimed author reviews her pitfalls, challenges, successes, pleasures, and uh, all the things she's discovered in 29 years of gardening in upstate New York. And it, the book has lovely illustrations by William Atherton. We're going to talk to Paige today about what it's like to be in, in this point, at this point in the garden, and some of the things that she's happy to have done and some things that she's wishing she hadn't done and some things that she's still changing and the things that she's going to be adding to the garden, not much, and the things she's going to be taking away, probably more, and some ideas uh, for things like hedges and structure and formality. So stay with me now for Paige Dickey. My guest today is Paige Dickey, the author of a new book, Embroidered Ground, Revisiting the Garden. Paige is the author of several books on gardening, and I know that, that people say things frequently, and you hear things like, uh, reading this book is like having a visit over a cup of coffee or tea and cakes, just chatting across the kitchen table. And when I read the book, it's like chatting across a kitchen table in a very sunny room with a view of a garden. <laughs> and it's the personality of your style, page, and the lovely words, and also the gracefulness of your writing. Because when I'm reading it in seconds, I forget I'm reading a book. I'm just taking taking along on a journey. And I want to welcome you to Ken Drew's Real Dirt. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> what nice words you say. Um, and I'm, I, I hope that is how people think of the book when they read it. I'm, I'm sure they will. And you, since I've known you for many, 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 many years, <laughs> <laughs> since we were children, <laughs> um, I've seen the garden that you've written about from its very beginning. And uh, you did write another book on making that garden, Duck Hill yeah. Journal, A Year in a Country Garden. And uh, something that I've noticed about my garden, which I, I think maybe you'll be able to comment on, I always thought that gardens just got better and better as they got older and older. No. <laughs> well, I've, <laughs> I've discovered in my garden that they peak. And for me, it peaked about the seventh year. And yes. now I find I have a lot to do, pruning, reshaping, maintaining, getting things back, stopping myself from adding plants. Ah, uh, yes. Well, I think I think what you say, that they get away from you, is true. And what, what happens is um, two things. Plants like perennials get exhausted, and you don't have the energy to dig the whole garden up the way they used to in the Edwardian days and replant it with fresh soil. Um, and the other thing that happens is things grow a whole lot 
faster and bigger than you ever imagined. <laughs> and and then you've got to either do what I do, which is try and find some charm in these overgrown plants, or start cutting them back and, and or removing them, which is what I hope I'm going to do. Um, so, yes, you're right. I, I think... An older garden is wonderful in that it has some established bones, and the trees that you planted as little twigs are suddenly 30 feet high, and, <laughs> and that's so wonderful. And as trees get older, they start to their bark starts to be beautiful, like like the stewardia or the kuza dogwood. And this doesn't happen when you first plant them; it just happens after 20 years. Um, but but you often find you've planted them in the wrong place. Or too close together. Or too close together. Um, and even the most experienced gardener does this. Do you do this, Ken? Uh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, as you were saying that, I, I was thinking how bad I am at arbicide. How difficult it is. Well, I just can't kill plants. I just. I'm terrible at it. It's, it's, it's really, really hard. And um, I, I, think, I think there's a charm in an older garden because things that, have, that do well have kind of taken over. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes that causes a simplification in your garden, in other words, there's a mass of something, which I find very beautiful. Um, on the other hand, it can become a jungle, and that's not always beautiful, right? <laughs> I'm, yes, that's not always beautiful. I, I wish I had some more masses of something. Maybe I've planted too many different plants. But I suspect it's Well, Ken, plus. you're a plantsman. <laughs> Come on. I, I am. And I'm always putting in something new, which I shouldn't. But I can't resist. When you began your garden uh, at Duck Hill, you, as I recall, you developed kind of chambers and contained spaces with boxwood hedges, for example. Yes. And, and you had big roses, romantic yes. blousy Lots roses. roses yeah. um, have you found that that approach with that kind of formality and contained arrangements has served you well, or is that what you're changing? I actually like um, the formality. I love what I call green architecture. Um, in my case, it's it's green hedges. Some many, most of them deciduous, but some of them evergreen, like a boxwood hedge, um, and and I have marked all these different garden rooms, as, as you might say, with big, what are now really huge balls or, or of boxwood. Um, and these are frames. These are, these are things that are beautiful at all times of year. And <clears throat> because the hedges have a, geometric line to them, um, they contrast nicely with wilder growing shrubs and roses and 
even trees, um, like crab apple trees. <clears throat> and I, I love that contrast of wild against something that's strict. Um, that thrills me all the time. Hmm. You've mentioned uh, evergreen hedges and deciduous hedges. What do you have for deciduous hedges? Well, my I'll tell you my favorite deciduous hedge first, and then I'll tell you a couple of my least favorites, <laughs> both of which I have. Um, my favorite is is a dogwood hedge. It's it's a a dogwood that's not native to us. It's called Cornus Mass, or confusingly, its common name is Cornelian Cherry, and. <clears throat> We see it on the roadsides around here, on, on the parkways in the spring when it blooms. It blooms in early March. Um, yellow, acid yellow buttons of flowers. Um, and then, and in its wild state, in its natural state, it, it's a tree or a big shrub. Um, but it turns out that it clips magnificently into a hedge. And so you have those yellow flowers in the early spring, and then you have these gorgeous dogwood leaves, <clears throat> very fresh and ribbed and handsome all summer. And then in late summer, fruit develops. It is <clears throat> a glistening red, teardrop-shaped fruit that my husband makes jam from. Ooh. <laughs> it's good jam, cornice mass jam, and <clears throat> and so it's and even in the winter, its its twig structure is beautiful. So this is what I call an all season beauty of a hedge that takes maybe three clippings a year to keep it in shape. So you clip it, but you don't remove the flower buds. When do you stop clipping it? Well, the the flower buds stud the whole length of the branches. So even if you clip it, it'll it'll um, you know it'll still be effective in flower. <clears throat> but we don't. <clears throat> I don't clip it until <clears throat> until June or usually the first time, hmm. May or June. Um, my least favorite that I still sadly have in the garden is is privet, oh. and it really privet makes a wonderful hedge. Um, any anybody who's been out to the Hamptons on the east end of Long Island has seen how magnificent privet can be as a hedge. But in order to keep it from be, in order to keep it contained, it has to be clipped in summer at least once a week. So it's a high-maintenance hedge, and its roots are voracious and probably take away a lot of goodness from plants you have around it. Well, that's that's good information and a good tip. And the other thing I'm hearing is you clipping it, uh, since you're clipping it so much, you don't have a problem with it getting around from seed. I guess because the, no. it doesn't form the berries. No, it really doesn't. But <clears throat> I would never ever recommend planting it, <laughs> um, unless you want a a stinky, smelly hedgerow that's thirty feet tall. And yes, that's another way of 
of having privet, not unclipped, but as a clipped hedge, it's high maintenance um, and easily gets uh, leggy. Mm. Mine is very leggy. <clears throat> so it's not, it's n what one wants in a hedge is something slow growing, which is, is, something we learn as we get older. That, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm speaking with Paige Dickey, the author of a new book, Embroidered Ground, Revisiting the Garden. And we'll be right back. You're listening to Ken Drew's Real Dirt. Hello and thank you for staying with us. My name is Ken Drews. I'm the host of Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. And my guest today is Paige Dickey, the author of several books on gardening, including a new book just out now, Embroidered Ground, Revisiting the Garden. And Paige and I have known each other for quite a while, and I think we're coming to similar conclusions and making similar decisions. Paige, I'm shrinking my garden, and not by in some of the ways that people do, which is make more beds and less lawn, but I'm planting very easy to care for deciduous flowering shrubs around the edges of the property. And yes. I think that you've found that woody plants are a solution to a lot of the the chores that we don't have time for or energy for or physical capability <laughs> to keep up with. That's right. I, I'm, I'm a great advocate of shrubs right now, flowering shrubs, um, or shrubs that have wonderful fruit and leaves, uh, out with the perennials, in with shrubs, um, <laughs> but it's, it's a, it's, it's a long going transition. I mean, I, it, because it's so hard to part with some of your beloved perennials that take a lot of maintenance, um, but shrubs are much, much easier to care for, and they can offer all-season interest, which appeals to me now. And you mentioned the cornice mosses. Are any others that are favorites that you can think of? As, as just, you, you mean just <clears throat> as a flowering shrub rather than yeah. a, a hedge? Right. Absolutely. I'm in love with viburnums. Um, not only the ones that have beautiful flowers like Viburnum burkwoodii <clears throat> or, or uh, the double file Viburnum, mm -hmm. but the ones that have gorgeous fruit in the fall, like the T. Viburnum, Viburnum sutigerum, <clears throat> and Viburnum dilatatum. Um, I love lilacs. I know that sounds like a, a, a funny thing for all season, but in fact, the Asian lilacs, uh, lilacs like Miss Kim and the dwarf Korean lilac, um, are beautiful shrubs all year round. They have beautiful foliage in the fall that turns uh, coppery colors and extraordinarily fragrant flowers in the spring. And, uh, and, and healthy-looking leaves. Mm. They're, they're a favorite. Um, uh, species roses are another favorite of mine. This is, these are roses you don't have to spray or prune. Um, you can just enjoy 
than right. for what they do to the landscape. Well, with your incredibly busy schedule and keeping up the garden, I'm interested in knowing how you how you find time to write and if you have any <laughs> tricks or disciplines or how do you do it? How do you structure yourself or what's your what's your method? When I'm writing a book and um, I carve out part of the day, um, usually in the morning when I'm fresh, say from 9 to 12, and use that time. I don't answer the phone. I don't look at emails. I just write. Um, and then I have the rest of the day free to garden and, and cook and play and whatever, and do errands and answer emails and all the things that consume our life. But I have to tell you, you know this too, there's a certain irony about sitting in front of a computer writing about gardening instead of gardening. Mm -hmm. And um, as much as I love writing about it, I love gardening best. That's where I really want to be is out there mucking around with my plants. Do you feel that way? Of course. Yeah. And that's why I've been writing this winter. <laughs> yeah, and I the guess winter. why I, the, the snow, winter is a much easier time yeah, to write. Yeah, all this snow has made it even easier because there's, yeah. there's really nothing I can do. No. We, well, I'm sure you have some indoor plants, don't you, that need fussing and watering? Oh, and now I'm, st I'm sowing seeds now, too. And exactly. So, so I'll sit at the computer for f seven minutes and then pop up and say, oh, I have to do that and do something and then get back to it. And then, especially if I'm, sometimes I'm writing about something and I'll, I'll want to go out and look at it. Or if it's an yes, indoor plant, I'll want to go mess with yes, it. I do that too. Because Virginia Woolf once said or wrote that until you write something down, it doesn't really happen. And of course, that's not true. But I think what she meant was when you write about something, you're really forced to look at it carefully and think about it carefully. And I find when I'm writing about a plant, I have to go out and look at it more carefully mm -hmm. than I ever have. Right. Well, I wonder so I if you would you just read a little paragraph from your book to give people a, a flavor. And it's, it's a paragraph that stood out to me. And I, I warned you, so it's page 247, if you could read that for us. Yes, it's in a little essay I wrote called Perfection. Sometimes I see a perfectly ordered garden that seems dull to me because it lacks either mood, imagination, or humor. When all the flowers are standing up straight, the hedges exactly squared, the edges trimmed, the topiaries uniformly round. When there's not a weed in sight or a plant out of place, and there's nothing unexpected, a garden in all its tidiness can seem without soul. Where are nature's touches, the serendipitous accidents that make a garden charming? Where is the vision, the sense of fun? Better for the gardener to relax a bit, let go, loosen his or her imagination, play with new and different ideas, whatever their outcome. Of course, a certain precision is expected in a formal garden, 
but one beautiful tree off-center, one stray flower at the edge of a path, one wayward branch weeping over a hedge, give that garden an unexpected grace. Wonderful. That's really a wonderful paragraph, and it it's funny too. What you can tell instantly when the soul's not there. You know, when you go to visit a yeah. garden, if you're on tour, you can tell instantly. Instantly. If the garden's been done for someone who's there two weeks a year or, or doesn't have the interest, or actually, it's rare when it's a garden done by someone. You know, when the when the hand of the gardener is in evidence, it's often the soul is there too. Absolutely, and passion. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter how big it is or or fancy. It it can be the tiniest. It can be a, a garden in a pot. Right. I was going to say it, it can be a, pl- a tire planter. Yeah, <laughs> it really can be. And that's the thing that people, when I travel around, they want to take me to the local uh, mansion or show me these, this fabulous manicured garden. And I often do see the soul in that tire planter or in that window box or something Indeed. that someone's put together. Absolutely. So what are you planning for the future? What's new for you for next season? Have you bought any seeds? I just pulled out Johnny's seed list to order vegetable seeds. And no, I have lists and lists of things I want to buy that seeds, I mean, that Mm -hmm. I haven't bought yet. And, And suddenly this is what happens. Oh, my goodness, it's February, and we haven't even started thinking about it. So we will. We've been... um, pulling plants out of the coal frame that we uh, planted in the in the fall bulbs mm-hmm. and that are, we're coaxing open now which is fun crocuses and hyacinths and the early daffodils um, but yes it's time to think about ordering plants and seeds um, I don't want it to come too fast do you <laughs> It always does. <laughs> because then, once gardening starts, it's a whirlwind, and um, a lot of other things get put aside. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I thankfully we seem to recover. You know, for in the fall we think we've had too much. If I never see another plant, I'll be fine. <laughs> and then January, oh, it starts to get itchy, and by March we're crazy. By March we're fired up and cannot stay in bed in the morning. We're so excited. Right. Well, Paige, it's been wonderful to speak with you, and I wish you good luck with uh, Embroidered Ground, Revisiting the Garden, another wonderful book to add to your pantheon. (laughs) And uh, please say hello to Bosco Shell for me, too. I will. And uh, thank you again for being a guest on Kendrew's Real Dirt. Thank you. Bye. If you're new to gardening, you have a lot to look forward to. And if you're a seasoned gardener who's had a chance to watch your garden mature and develop over the years, then you have a lot to look forward to, too. Different things that we talked about with Paige. Uh, The beauty of plants when they are mature. The remarkable trees that we planted when they were two and a half feet tall and now are 30 feet tall. Something that actually happens. Hard to imagine when you're planting that two-and-a-half-foot-tall tree, but it does happen. And as I was talking about, I've been shrinking my garden using deciduous shrubs, and Paige is doing that too. And she's she's discovered a lot of things that she did that she wished she hadn't done and some things she's undoing 
as she gets older and and is able to witness her garden and its maturity. And she's been there for 30 years. It's hard to imagine. But uh, plant those trees. Plant those little trees because you'll be surprised. 30 years will go by and you'll be able to sit in the shade of the trees that you planted when they were two and a half feet tall. So do it. Don't hesitate. You can debate whether you're going to see that tree when it's mature. And then seven or 12 years later, you're still debating whether you should plant that tree. Plant that tree. And if it's in the wrong place, you'll be able to move it. You'll be surprised. Plants have wheels. Join me again next week for another edition of Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. It's been my pleasure to be here with you. And if you'd like to contact me, it's Ken Drew's Real Dirt at yahoo.com. See you next week.